And I think that anybody who wants to make a change in their life, they have an obligation to, to put in extra work, you know, and if, and if they're not willing to, that's fine, but then don't expect the outcome that you're hoping for. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that, when you walk through the doors of NC Fit, the first thing you're going to be greeted by is a smiling face. Then another and another. And immediately, even a stranger will feel welcome. That's the power of community. And cultivating a passionate community is exactly what NC Fit founder Jason Kalipa wanted to do when he started what is now a small fitness empire. He wanted to create an environment where employees were paid to chase their passion, do what they love, and create happier, healthier communities along the way. It's a marriage of fitness and hospitality that really makes an impact on the people who come through the doors. But running NC Fit is just one of the many hats that Jason wears. He is also the author of As Many Reps As Possible, a bestseller and a great read about his life, the host of two podcasts, the Ann Rep Mentality Podcast and the Business of Fitness Podcast, and a dedicated philanthropist who gives so much to spread awareness for pediatric cancer and provide support to families fighting that difficult fight. Jason started his philanthropic work in 2016 after he and his wife were faced with a parent's worst nightmare. Their daughter, Ava, was diagnosed with leukemia at the age of four. But the Kalipa family embraced Ava's diagnosis and faced it with an unyielding positivity. Instead of playing it safe, they went all in. Instead of focusing on themselves, they spread support. Instead of worrying, they celebrated because those are the memories that Jason wants Ava to remember. And no matter what is happening or where you are in your life, it's never too late to start something new, to begin, to take action in the direction where you know you need to go. You can overcome any adversity. You can start that business you can buy that gym membership and start working out. You can change those habits. You can build new ones. You can write the story of your own life. You are the only person who can free your potential, find meaning, and live life on purpose. Everything that you need is right within you. It dwells within you. And Jason and many of the other guests I've had on my show are living, breathing examples and proof of that. So bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Jason Kalipa, dude, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Very excited to have you. Yeah, no, happy to, happy to be here. Yeah, you know, so Juliet, the incredible Juliet Starek, connected us, and she's an amazing human, peep, human being. So thank you, Juliet, for connecting Jason and I. And I want to compliment you uh, first as we get off uh, by the people that you 
have invited into your world uh, and the community that you've created. Because a lot of actually the final key to unlocking our potential and freeing our potential and having the impact in the world that we desire is community. It is environment and it's the people that you allow into your environment. And you have some stellar people that are part of NC Fit because I pulled into the parking lot. First thing that happened was I was greeted by a smiling face. Matt introduced himself, shook my hand, welcomed me. And then I would step inside your organization. There's a workout going on. Everybody says hello. I mean, you've created this, this culture, this experience that even for it make, immediately makes a stranger feel welcome. So yeah, I wanted that's, to. That's the, I mean, that's the goal, right? Is our business is a service based business. And so it's really important for us that people feel the atmosphere and, and, and that the, the coaches are passionate about what they're doing and that they want to kind of instill upon that into everybody that walks in the door. Right. And it's something we're obviously always struggling to get better with, um, which is actually this morning, oddly enough, few of us went and did a cold plunge into the ocean because we wanted to test out a theory for a team building exercise we want to do in two weeks from now with our, all of our managers. We want to go into the ocean together and it's cold right now and just overcome that adversity, overcome that discomfort, but do it together as a team and hopefully ingrain us even deeper as a, as a company. A little like uh, mini mini buds element there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, we're like in the, in the smallest of versions, <laughs> yeah. it's just, you know, I, I do a lot of cold, cold work yeah. and I find a lot of benefit from it. And so I just wanted to see if we could take our team from where they're at today to 2% more uncomfortable. I'm not recommending that we go run on the sand and get crazy. I'm just saying, Hey, let's walk in, let's overcome it. Let's walk back out. Yeah. Nothing crazy. Totally. Yeah. Actually, I think that's great. I think people blow things up in their heads and, and it prevents them from taking action. And when they do something small, that's uh, a surmountable challenge, that's not going to put their life at risk. And, and they do that over and over again, they begin to recognize and learn what they're capable of achieving. And we're going to talk more about that because that ties into your whole AMRAP mentality. And we'll get there in a second. But I encourage you to read a book called The Experience Economy because you're already doing it in the company, but it's an older book. It's called the experience economy and it's about the theater of business, mm. you know, and you guys are doing that. And that's one of the reasons why you guys are so successful as an organization and as a team. Um, I, I like to start origin story and getting to know my guests a little bit. And it's fun because it's, I don't, a lot of people don't get to spend much time talking about who some of their childhood heroes were or who their, the first person was that believed in them. And so we're going to start there. We're going to start with who your childhood hero was. Childhood hero. You know, for me, I used to race BMX bikes. And so I looked up to a lot of the racers, um, the guys that were sponsored by the big companies and things of that nature. So it was, it was a group of them. Um, offhand, like there was, there was um, Danny Robinson, I want to say, was someone I... But like as a kid... I would just watch these guys and they were so magnificent on their bikes and I wanted to be like that. And as I grew older, obviously that, that kind of shifted out and I got into football and other sports, but I was competing at a really high level in BMX and I got hurt a lot. And uh, those were a couple of the factors that made me pivot into football, which I'm super grateful for. Yeah. So when you think, when you think back to the Danny Robinson and those BMXers and you said something that I want to kind of tug on a little bit. You said that they were magnificent at what they were doing. Yeah, yeah. What did, they, what did that mean? What did that mean to you then? And and when you reflect back on that now, well, and even if you look into like 
you know, Dave Mira and, and Ryan Nyquist. And I don't know if some of these guys are doing dirt jumps, all this crazy stuff. But I mean, even if you look like Tony Hawk, right. And, and at the times so I was really into more of the, the X game style of training and they were magnificent because obviously they put a lot of time into their craft and they were, they were pushing the boundaries of what the sport was capable of, which I found to be really fascinating. And at the time I didn't recognize that it was a correlation to everything else I would want to do later on, but that these guys were putting in so much time and effort that they were, they were pushing the sport forward, which I thought was really cool. Tell me a little bit about your family. I was, uh, I was, re- you know, reading a few articles about your parents as, uh, in preparation for this and your dad's name is Robert and your mom's name is Sue, right? Yeah. And I, I, I found this article from uh, 2014 that had your dad com- in the, in the <laughs> open, you know? Oh yeah. And, uh, he was talking a little bit about his own experience of his own progression from taking pictures of you to getting into it. And your mom was way more into it initially than he was. And, and so I'd love to learn a little bit more about what it was like growing up in the Kalipa family. Yeah. Mom and dad were, have always been great. I also have a sister named Angela. And I think as we grew up, we were surrounded by a lot of love and my dad traveled a lot for work and he got leukemia when I was 14 or 15, which at the time was a pretty pivotal moment. And so looking back on it, my dad, so my dad came from Iran Hmm. and my father-in-law actually came from Iran right around the same time. And they both started a company right around the same time. And my father-in-law, his name's Jeff, still has this company. And my dad, his company actually ended up not doing well. And that was a really big learning experience for me because I saw it from the outside and the stresses that it put on my family. And at the same time, he was trying to battle leukemia, which was super intense. And so that was a really trying moment for our family. But I think there's always been this, you know, like every Saturday I used to spend in my grandma's house because my grandma lived less than a mile away. And it allowed my parents to kind of keep their relationship strong and allow my sister and I to, you know, keep a good relationship with my grandma. And looking back on that, it really has impacted us today. So my children spend, you know, most Saturdays with one of their grandparents and it allows my wife and I to, you know, go out and keep our relationship strong, especially as we, you know, battled our daughter's uh, leukemia diagnosis. That was really important for us. Yeah. You know, family relationships are so important. My grandmother lived with us for 12 years. So that was, I have some hilarious stories. Um, she was a little bit, a little bit nutty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> At times uh, they are, right? Yeah. And I mean, she was actually a little bit crazy. Uh, she, she was bipolar and this was before they knew what bipolar really was. And, and she had to go on the, you know, medication to help manage that, but it was pretty brand new medication. So one funny story that I'll share about my, my grandmother, God bless her soul is I was 10 years old. And if you can envision this, most houses have the, the garage in the front, right? When you pull in, you pull straight into the garage. Well, we had renovated, my parents had renovated that whole garage into like a really nice studio suite for my grandmother when she moved in so that she can have her own space. And then out when you're in that room, that room opens up first into the laundry room. And then you come out of the laundry room into the dining room. So I'm sitting, it's breakfast time on a Monday or Tuesday, middle of the week. I'm sitting there eating honey nut Cheerios for breakfast, 10 years old. I'm running late. I've got my backpack on. And my grandmother comes walking out of the laundry room. She goes, good morning, Mikey. And I look up and she's, you know, 70-ish yeah, years she's old. completely naked. She's completely naked. Yeah. And she had gigantic breasts. <laughs> Are you really talking about your grandma's breasts right now? <laughs> 
I love my grandmother, but you know, it was just, it's just one of those crazy things yeah. that you only get when you have a really close family. And needless yeah. to say, my mother came running down and ushered her back into the room and she came back out wearing an apron. Oh man. <laughs> anyway, but, um, so when you were experiencing that, that, uh, challenge with your dad, his health challenge, and you had your family, you had your grandmother beyond your immediate family. What role did the community outside play in helping lift you guys up during that time? Well, I mean, you know, back in the day, um, and like seventh, eighth grade, and then freshman as a high school, you know, we had families around that, that helped bring food and try and make it easier on my mom because my dad was sick and they did a really good job hiding his treatments from my, my sister and I, excuse me. And I knew he was sick, but I didn't really quite understand how sick he was. And he was really an advocate for taking his life in his own hands, which again, looking fast forward 10, 15 years later, we did the same thing with our daughter. When he was diagnosed, he had something called hairy cell leukemia, which is super, super rare. And he went back in remission like five or six times. So the chemotherapy never killed it fully. And so he had to find an experimental drug for himself, brought that experimental drug to Stanford. And then that experimental drug cured him with, so now it's been like 15 years and it just this last year got um, approved by the FDA. So super interesting that he took the time to research. He became his own biggest advocate and found a drug that cured him. Whereas now, 15 years later, hopefully it does the same thing for a lot more people. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. Nobody will be a better advocate for yourself than yourself. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very good point. If you have a child that's sick or whatnot, um, that was something I learned from my parents for sure, was that no one's going to care as much as you care. And you have to do everything in your power to educate yourself because if you don't, who is? Right. And it's true for anywhere in life. Yeah. Right. If, if you want to get healthy... Well, Jason's not going to come knocking on your door to get you healthy. You got to walk through his gym first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to take those steps. Start. You want to write a book? Type the first word. All of that stuff, right? You got to do it. And I think that that's one of the things that most people, or not maybe not most people, but many people are faced with, is this limiting belief in their this fear of looking like a fool or stumbling and failing. Because when they go to a gym, they go into a CrossFit or or any of your facilities, you know, and they've never done anything before. Maybe they've never done a burpee, right? And you know, it's not a super complicated movement, but there's a lot of things happening. You're doing, you're moving your whole body, right? Yeah. And so that maybe they're they're afraid that they're going to do a burpee, but maybe they should start with an air squat, you know, and just do something, right? It's 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 getting over this fear of looking like a fool and recognizing that you're the only person that can free your potential. Yeah, the way I like to look at it is like better is better. Right? Yeah. It's like if today, if you go for a 10 minute walk, congratulations, mm-hmm. right? It's better than what you did yesterday. Let's not get too wrapped up. You know, I think anybody who's, and also understanding why you want to be fit. I think it's really to really important to, to take a deep dive, especially if you're sitting here listening and you're in the, your thirties, forties, fifties, you probably understand the health benefits of fitness. Mm-hmm. I think that's non-negotiable. You probably understand the byproduct that I'll have in your body. As far as the way you'll look in a bathing suit, I think that's non-negotiable. But if those two things haven't encouraged you to exercise yet, they probably never will. Right. But what could maybe push you over the top is how you'll feel, mm-hmm. right? The psychological benefits, your ability to start exercising and then utilize this, this adversity, these challenges to then utilize exercise as a tool mm-hmm. to develop a mindset to help you overcome tough things in your life. For sure. And I think that it's such a great way 
in a very low risk environment to learn how to overcome a burpee Mm -hmm. or to learn how to walk into an ocean when it's cold, but Mm -hmm. to overcome that. And then what Mm -hmm. does that do for the rest of your day? And so I think anybody who's out there, you know, trying to get inspired about fitness, well, yes, you're going to better health markers, be there for your kids. right? Right. But I also think the psychological benefits. And then finally, I think fitness should never be an inhibitor of what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Right. My son wants to go snowboarding next week. There's, there's zero part in my brain that's worried about that for me. Right. Mm-hmm. I know that I could go there and I know that my physicality will be okay. Right. Mm-hmm. But if there was ever something he wanted to do and I physically didn't feel capable, that's a, to me, that's a problem, at least for now. Yeah. Right? I want to never have fitness be an inhibitor where if I want to walk up some stairs, I can still do it. I yeah. think that's a great. That's a great big picture lesson for somebody to think about instead of just always thinking about six pack abs because maybe that doesn't motivate them. Right. Yeah. My mom is 69 years old and uh, she just started doing Olympic lifting. And she just, uh, she last year she competed in something called the Iron Roses and she won her division at 60, 68 last year, deadlifting 245. Wow. That's good. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so if you could deadlift 245 at 68, you're not going to be worried about lifting your grandchildren. Right. I think that's the really big picture. I think sometimes people get too narrow-minded when they think about fitness. Or like, you know, worrying about your hips going out. Yeah, you know, all of that stuff. You're not going to worry about that. And we're going to talk more about how fitness has helped me do hard things, help you do hard things. Before we get there, I want to learn a little bit about the first person in your life growing up to express belief in your potential. Well, I mean, I think obviously, and I hope most Besides people yourself. Say, yeah, I think most people would say that it's their parents, right? I think right. that their parents kind of start that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's business mentors of mine saw potential in me at a young age. I started working the front desk at a gym when I was 15. There were some guys that really took me underneath their wing. So like on that side, but obviously it's my parents. And then, and then when I got into, you know, sports in high school, and then when I got into CrossFit, I had some guys again at the gym who really were like, Hey, you know, you might actually be pretty good at this. And then when you started looking at your times versus other people, it was really easy to kind of quantify it. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was a number of people, obviously still my parents. And then it was also these business mentors who really stepped in at a vital moment for me and taught me how to sell, taught me to interact with people. And they built up my confidence because they're like, Hey, you, I think you have a really good skill here. Let me develop it even more. Have you always had this kind of go mentality? Because I look at you and I've watched your videos and I've listened to your story and, you know, you've, you've seemed to just have this like always on kind of button, you know, like just go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what you, I mean, especially right now in my life, like what you see is what you get, right? Like, I mean, I get up, I get up and I get after it. I, yeah. I think <laughs> like, I, when we were scheduling this interview, I think that one of your first emails was like, hey, we can do any time in the morning, but I have a standing call at like 6.30 a.m. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, not most people, not many people have a standing call yeah, at 6.30 a.m. We have a standing coffee Friday yeah, at yeah. 6.30. 6.30 a.m. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just one of those things where, you know, it's hard to teach it, but once you start seeing the byproducts from it, then you start becoming fueled by it. Right. And I think that anybody who wants to make a change in their life, they have an obligation to, to put in extra work, mm-hmm. you know? And if, and if they're not willing to, that's fine. But then mm-hmm. don't expect the outcome that you're right. hoping for. Yeah, I'm a big believer in doing an inventory of your time. Most people just live life super passively. And we all have the same 168 hours in a seven-day week. You probably sleep 50 some odd hours. Yeah, I mean, I sleep okay. It's just when yeah. I'm up, I'm trying to get right. after it. <laughs> yeah, but like, see, most people aren't getting after it though, right? So you sleep, most people sleep 50 to 55 hours a week. 
And then the rest of the time, that's 110 plus hours that we have available to do stuff, right? Whether it's family or work on dreams, get off social media, unless that's your business. Yeah, that's that's your You know, you were fortunate at a young age to really find your passion, to yeah. discover what you're passionate about. And I love, I love the word passion when it's used properly because it means that the word passion literally means the willingness to suffer for something. And you talk about developing and finding your passion at an early age, working at the front front desk. What was it about the fitness realm that attracted you? What spoke to the truth that exists inside of you? Well, I mean, obviously I liked making a couple of bucks, the friend desk, of course. I liked being able to take, you know, maybe at the time, like my girlfriend out for dinner. Um, but I think I liked the idea of watching these people work hard. Like, and I think it was initially being instilled in my brain. And I didn't quite articulate it until I got to college. In high school, I would watch these people come into the gym and they had the desire to work hard. But sometimes I feel like we were selling them short because we didn't give them the tools to get to where they wanted to be. That's when I found CrossFit and having a coach and having a community and how well that kind of gives you good guidance and direction and racing against the clock was really what I fell in love with. I didn't fall in love with that though until I was in um, like junior college was when I really realized that for the first time in my life, I was behind the rest of my peers. You know, when I graduated from high school and I didn't get into the schools I wanted to, and I went to junior college, it was an easy way for me to look at my peers, look at myself and recognize that I was falling behind. And I had to put in the work to get back to where I wanted to be. Racing against the clock in CrossFit in particular, I was able to get more work done in less time. And so I started integrating that in my life. But I think from an early age, I was always interested in, in hard work because I was interested in the byproduct that provided you. That's one of the reasons I also liked sales in college was that the more calls you made, the more opportunities you had to get somebody in the gym, the more opportunities you had to hopefully get them a membership, and then the more money you would make. But it was all on you. And I, I, I liked that idea. And I liked the idea in fitness that it's all on you too. Like, and no one's going to give you anything. You, know, you could be as entitled as you want. But with fitness, you can't be entitled. No one owes you anything. You can't just pay for it. You got to earn it. And I liked that about it. And I think growing up in that demographic, it was really nice because I was able to see the fruit of your work come to inclusion by, by the way you looked physically. Totally. Yeah. There's this um, psychological theory called self-determination theory. And it's one of the, one of the many theories of motivation. Uh, and why people do things. And one of them is it, one of the main principles of self-determination in theory is autonomy. And it's having this crystal clear sense that you are autonomous and that the only way that you're going to achieve the success that you want and desire is if you yourself take action and don't necessarily rely on, on anybody else. Of course, we know that it takes partners and other people to, to help us achieve our vision, but you got to deal with it first. Yeah. Will you actually tell a pretty interesting story of your college experience at West Valley Community College? I listened to yeah. uh, I listened to an interview you did on on it. Oh yeah, with uh, Kyle. Yeah. Yeah, with Kyle. Uh of your one of your first classes and everybody was going around and introducing themselves. Why don't you tell that story? Yeah, I mean it was look, I came out of high school, I was a pretty popular guy, was the jock, and I got to junior college. I just recognized that it wasn't a game anymore. And Everybody was going around saying, hey, I'm John Smith. This is my first year. I'm this and this. And this woman next to me, she said, hey, I'm you know Nicole. And this is my seventh year at West Valley. And I just remember at that moment, like really hitting me home that 
for the first time in my life, there's no one pushing me forward. There's no system in place. This was all on me. Mm-hmm. And there was no, you know, there, there was no buffer. Like either you exceed or you stay. Like mm-hmm. no one cares. Mm-hmm. And whereas in high school, you had this huge net that was trying to do everything in their power to push you forward. In real life, there's no one trying to push you forward. No one really cares. Mm-hmm. And if you don't take ownership in that and do it on your own, then then really that's on you. Mm-hmm. And when I heard seventh year, it just really just boom, just resonated with me. And so from that day mm-hmm. forward, I really, really pushed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I actually started out in junior college as well. I went to Cabrillo in, uh, yeah, yeah. in Santa Cruz, but it's we affectionately referred to it as Cabrihab. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, learn I mean, how to and, learn again. And junior college, by the way, it has its place. I mean, I spent two years there and I went on to a four year. Right. I think it's really important that when you go there, you go there with the mission, you go there dedicated totally. to whatever you want to do and yeah. get the hell out. Yeah. You know, uh, but I think this, you don't want to fall into this comfort zone where you end up becoming a student and 10 years later, you're still looking at it and you're not accomplishing the goals you want yeah. to accomplish. Yeah. When did you discover CrossFit? What? I discovered CrossFit in 2006, 2007. So that was, uh, um, I graduated from, so I graduated. So I found it when I was like a, a junior-ish in, in college. Okay, okay. And then I, I really enjoyed it. I knew I wanted to open up a gym. I didn't necessarily know what type. And then I found CrossFit and I was like, oh, okay, I like this. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of having a coach and a community and functional fitness. And that's what I did. Who was your first coach? A gentleman by the name of Austin Begeebing. Okay. So he was out of a gym called CrossFit uh, Milpitas. And we used to run a, a CrossFit gym inside the health club that I used to work at. And so I started coaching there and then I opened up my own studio. What did he teach you about how to coach people? Uh, I mean, he just had this desire to learn and he still does today. But I mean, reading all the forms, looking at all these different things and he would come to the table and we would test things on me and him. And we would just, because at the time there wasn't as much information available. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, 12 years ago, whatever mm-hmm. it was. And so he was really dedicated to reading all the journal articles, meeting up with different people in the area and learning from them. I remember he took me to my first Olympic weightlifting um, seminar. He was really obsessed with kind of developing the human body. And uh, that was really cool. Again, for me, I mean, imagine I'm a college age kid. I have this one side where these guys are teaching me how to sell gym memberships and all the business side. And then I have this other guy that's teaching me all the fundamentals of coaching. And so it was a really cool background to then open up my own business. I, I as I, I'm hearing you talk, I, I found CrossFit three years ago. I've always kind of you know, I've waffled back and forth between being fit, not being fit, got really out of shape in the financial crisis because just of stress and all yeah. of that stuff. And, you know, I, I had opportunities to join CrossFit earlier, but people kept saying, you know, I, or I kept saying, reading stuff, well, oh, don't do CrossFit, you know, blah, 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 all of the negative stuff. Right. And, and I was also afraid. And so I, some, as I'm talking with you, I'm sitting to my, thinking to myself, how grateful I am for, for CrossFit you know, that I, that I did ultimately take action and step into a gym and sign up and and do that. But I could also easily waffle back into the, man, I'd be so much further ahead if I had just started earlier. And so many people get stuck there. Yeah. You can't think that way. I mean, the past is a past, you know, hindsight's always 2020, you know, it's, it's, it's funny how life works, but all you could do is you could start now, right? And just get started and on whatever you want to pursue. And mm-hmm. I think that's really important. You know, if we want something, if I want something, it's my obligation to get out there and get after it. And I, you know, that's really important. One of the things I'm most grateful for about 
CrossFit workouts in particular is they are really challenging mentally, Mm -hmm. physically, sometimes emotionally when you don't get that PR, you know, like I was trying to do yesterday after, after doing grace, I was trying to go for my one rep max clean and jerk. And, uh, I just couldn't get it, even though I've gotten in the past, but whatever was going on yesterday with my body just was not, just wasn't happening. So I, you know, I had to deal with that, but I'm, I'm super grateful for the, the hard workouts because it's showing me that I can do hard things and come out better on the other side of it. What do you think some of the greatest misconceptions people hold about their capacity to do hard things and the value of doing hard things, even if it, even if it ends in failure? Well, I just think people find this rut where they start to find this comfort and they want to enjoy that. And I think that's just a human nature thing. And I think it's, it's a ancestral whatever, where, you know, you, you identify the, the path of least resistance and you pursue it. And I think our bodies organically wants to go there, but I think to, you know, harden yourself to, to better yourself, you have to get out of that rut and find something that's a little bit less comfortable. And I think where the misconception is, is people think it to be all or nothing. And I think that's, that's really, that's really a shame because all you need to do is just take a step in the right direction mm-hmm. because I mean, things don't happen overnight. Take, for example, this business, you know, we started this business 11 years ago. If you look at some of our locations right now, they're not the same as our newer locations. And would I like them to be overnight? Of course, but that just doesn't happen. It takes time and evolution. But as long as every day you're making a step in the right direction, I think you're, you're working towards that particular goal. And fitness is the same thing. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be fit for a year. I don't want to be fit for a month. I don't want to be fit for whatever. I want to be fit forever. Mm-hmm. And so if I want to be as fit as possible for as long as possible, I need to recognize it's a long-term goal and just take one foot in front of the other, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, Preach it. But, yeah. but, I, but I, you know, the, I think the key is just not being so hard on yourself and just recognizing that better is better and just start there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always tell my wife when she's debating about whether or not to do something, I'm like, something is better than nothing. Like, what are you going to do? If you don't do this, what are you going to do? Yeah. You know, uh, don't worry about how many people show up, you know, just you show up and maybe one person shows up and, and it's, you can still do something and it's better than sitting there for 20 minutes screwing around on your iPhone. Yeah. Uh, what was it like opening the doors to your first gym? I mean, obviously it was scary. I felt confident at the time, but I, but I was nervous. I was going totally against the grain of what my peers were doing. Everybody else was graduating from San Clay University and, and they were getting their typical jobs, getting paid, you know, whatever. And I was pursuing a business and I had the support of my family. I supported my then girlfriend or maybe she, she was my fiance, maybe right at the time. And I was really fortunate to have several things line up all at the same time. My girlfriend uh, kind of financially supported me for the first little bit, which was mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, I won the CrossFit Games. I got engaged. All of this happened like within like a couple of weeks, and it just fueled my fire even more. Right. And opening your own business, I think, can be really scary. And I think looking back on it, I did everything in my power to be successful once the doors opened but I could have done more before the doors opened. Meaning I had learned from my mentors. I had learned coaching, but I should have educated myself more on finance. I should have educated myself more on leases and this and that before I signed it. But back in the day, when you're a 21 year old kid or whatever, you just kind of do what you can because, but once you sign that lease, once your doors open, you take on expenses. And I should have done a better job prepping before that, Mm -hmm. like understanding QuickBooks, understand that or delegated it out. But frankly, when the doors, when the doors open, I left myself with no other option but to be successful. I would stay there all day, every day, 
And I had nothing else going on but that. I mean, obviously I wanted my relationship, with my wife to be good or my fiance, but she was very supportive and she would be at the gym a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. You, you burned the, yeah, the bridges. You didn't just wait for everything to be perfect. You just stepped in and get, went after it. Yeah. And I, that's the, that's one of the best mentalities. And actually one of my favorite quotes is from George Patton, general George Patton. Yeah. Uh, a, a good plan executed violently is better than a perfect plan never executed. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the Impact Entrepreneur told you to call. What's your wife's name again? Ashley. Ashley. You, you guys met when you were 14, right? Yeah. I actually think you might have just seen her when she left the gym. Oh, was she was she right there in the yeah. in the front? Yeah. Okay, well, you know, you definitely married up a few levels. Yeah, <laughs> I married up a few levels. So how did yeah. you guys meet? Uh we met in algebra class. Okay. L- were you looking over her shoulder or yeah, you know, oddly <laughs> enough, so I met I met Ashley and I I talked to her the first couple of days and then I went home and I told my mom that I met the girl I was gonna marry. And uh we got together and we ended up breaking up. She broke up with me. Then we got back together again and been together ever since. But I knew as soon as I met her, I yeah. was like, this is, this is it. And we come from similar backgrounds. We have similar ethnic family dynamics that, that just works really well for yeah. us. Yeah. My wife and I have no- known each other since we were nine. Oh, wow. Didn't start dating then, but we, we started dating. I, I moved to Australia. Uh, I actually dropped out of junior college, moved to Australia for a year, then came back was kind of wandering and she was at USF in, in San Francisco. And my sister, my older sister was having a birthday party at the bubble lounge in San Francisco. She invited me to come and I said, I don't want to go hang out with you and your friends. And she's like, well, Lisa Johnston and her roommates will be there. And I said, well, Lisa Johnston and her roommates, how many roommates? Well, there's going to be six of them. I'm like, okay, odds are good. You know? Yeah. yeah, odds are, yeah. <laughs> you know? So I, I, Went there uh, with the expectation to reconnect with these people. But as soon as Lisa walked through that door, it was all over. Yeah. I talked to her the rest of that night. I knew that the next day I called a spiritual director, a friend of mine, and I told him his name is Rob. He's also my dentist. You know, make sure you, if you're going to have a spiritual director, it's, you know, they're, they're, they have the advantage if they're your dentist and you can't talk when they're talking to you. Yeah. But anyway, so I called him up and I'm like, hey, I'm going to marry Lisa Johnston. He's like, slow down, you know? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, we dated and it was intense six months. And then she dumped me while we were chaperoning a bunch of, a bunch of kids on a, on a trip in Ottawa, Canada, because she wanted to discern whether she was called to be a nun. Huh. <laughs> and I'm like, I know you're not called to be a nun. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? So anyway, so she discerns that she's ultimately not called to be a nun. And we have been married for 15 years and have four kids. So wow, yeah, we're getting ready to celebrate our 15th this year, actually in October. Very cool. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. What is the most surprising thing you've learned about yourself as being an entrepreneur and uh, facing all of the challenges that you have along the way? 
Uh, I don't know if it's surprising, but I think it's just humbling that you realize you're not good at everything. You know, I think that as an entrepreneur, you have this spirit of just like, like we got to go, we got to do this, we got to do that. But then you forget that sometimes you don't have all the skills in place. So I'm a terrible manager. I'm terrible at finance. There's certain things I'm really bad at. I like creating ideas. I like creating a vision. I like executing. I like to work hard, but I'm really bad at giving direction to the team on how to help me get there, or help, help the company get there. And so I think something I've learned the hard way is just, you know, to be humble enough to recognize what you know and what you don't know, and then to, to hire really good people who are in those other areas. Mm-hmm. And as the company's grown from one location to 20 plus from one employee to, you know, hundreds, it, it's, it's became even more and more important to have those systems in place. How do you go about finding the, those, those talented people and, and, allow, and allowing them and freeing them to use their gifts the way they were created to use them? Well, I think for, I think you hire people for a reason. And so you need to pay them appropriately so they feel compensated and then allow them to, to do their own thing, like not micromanage them because you're hiring them for a reason. If you're going to micromanage them, don't even hire them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really hard to do for some entrepreneurs. And it was for me in the beginning until I started finding people I could really trust. And one of the things I think you could do as an entrepreneur is just test the waters for a long time. If it's a good deal today. It's probably still a good deal tomorrow. Probably still a good deal a month from now. If you have an employee that really wants to get hired on today or whatever, maybe it's not the right time, mm-hmm. right? Maybe you need to take more time to develop it. You know, one of our top guys here, he's been, you know, a best friend of mine since we were 15. Um, and before we hired him, like we took a long time to make sure that was the right decision because the repercussions could be big. And then his brother got hired on a year ago here as a finance position, but he was qualified. He was intelligent, but we took our time because we knew that if that didn't work out, it'd be tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you're, you're friends. Yeah. Yeah. That doing business with friends is, can sometimes be a very intimidating yeah. And you should do your due diligence. I've learned that the hard way relatively recently. You know, you're a confident person and the academic world has spent a lot of time studying confidence and psychology and all of that stuff. But what is your practical real world advice about building confidence? I mean, I think the best way to build confidence is to put yourself in a position where you're uncomfortable. And every day, like I like this idea of earned confidence where you're earning the confidence to speak on whatever you're speaking on or to do whatever you're doing because of a background of work and it's not fluff. Mm-hmm. When I go in, I go speak to somebody about corporate wellness. That's something we've been doing for a decade. It's something I have a unique experience in because I've traveled the world opening locations. So when I speak on it, I can speak on it from an earned confidence of actually, you know, conversations with thousands of people as an example. Or when I go in there and I'm learning a new skill like jujitsu, well, my confidence gets built every day that I'm in there because I'm having this time that I'm dedicated to it. Mm-hmm. So I think that if you're trying to build your confidence, the first step is spending time under tension. And when I think about time under tension, it's time in something that's challenging me, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. Public speaking, maybe test yourself on a camera. Uh, get, you, there's all kinds of ways, but if you're not spending time trying to get a little uncomfortable, your confidence will never be built. Do you have any like, I hate the word hacks, but any practices, because you, you know, you've got a lot going on. So we've doing this interview to, right now, and then you're going to go do something else. And it costs, cost, you know, your, your brain is having to switch between tasks, right? And so when you're switching from, let's say you're here and you're going to go to jujitsu practice, 
Do you do anything to kind of prep yourself mentally to give yourself like five, 10 seconds to kind of get your mind in the right headspace? Yeah. I mean, I, I just know that, you know, and something we talk about a lot, which is called the AMRAP mentality, where I try and I AMRAP each facet of my life. So like right now I'm with you. You don't see me on my phone. I'm fully engaged on what you're talking about. And I'm trying to do as many reps as possible with you. I'm just working with you. And that was really this idea of working against the clock that I found really fascinating by CrossFit in particular. And so then this morning, you know, we're, we're in the ocean. We're AMRAPing that. Not for very long, but we're AMRAPing that, <laughs> right? Then, you know, you go get breakfast. You're talking about business. And then from here, I'll go, you know, work out. And then I'll go see the kids. And then boom, 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 I'm segmenting. And I think what the key is, is just whenever I'm in, I'm in. Mm-hmm. And if I'm out, I'm out. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to be that guy who's going to be one foot in, one foot out anymore. I've done that for too many years. Mm-hmm. And I've seen the byproduct of that. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be fully focused on what I'm doing, get the most I can out of it, and then move on to the next one. Have you ever heard of the phrase all in? Yeah. Of course, right. Uh, do you know what the origin of the, the word all in is? It's actually an Aztec word. No. It's O-L-L-I-N. And it was their battle cry. When there was a, an attack going on, they would yell this out huh. and it would bring everybody in. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Yeah. O-L-L-I-N. Huh. So you, you started jujitsu. Yeah. And uh, how far along are you? Are you a white belt, blue belt? I'm a three-stripe blue belt. Three-stripe blue belt. Okay. So that's probably a few years. Yeah. yeah. Few years. I've never, I've never done BJJ, but I, you know, I've got a lot of friends that do a lot of members of a, a CrossFit Amundsen of course, do yeah. it. I've been thinking about, I want to do something with my kids because I've got four of them and it's hard to drive all over the place. So I, I was thinking about all of us enrolling in BJJ, all starting out as a white belts together, doing something really challenging, but they get to see me do something new too. But what have you learned about, about the body and about what the body is capable of doing through a different modality than, than something you've ever done with, you know, in this sport of, yeah, I mean, I think the key is like in CrossFit, you're trying to have this broad fitness. And I think in Jiu-Jitsu, the difference is that whereas in CrossFit, it's you against a object that doesn't mm-hmm. fight back. Mm-hmm. In Jiu-Jitsu, it's like a game of chess and they're fighting and you're fighting and you're reacting to their movements and it makes you flow like you're an artist, like you're a dancing with somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fascinating to me mm-hmm. because in life, you need to kind of be dancing because you never know what life's going to throw at you. And this idea that you can have a barbell 95 pounds on it is great because maybe you have to walk up and go do something in life that I think is a metaphor for life. Like you just got to flow with it. And I think jujitsu is a really great example of learning how to flow. And the better you flow, the better you get at it. Mm-hmm. And the guys who are great can, can do it with, it's, it's beautiful. Right. And if you're not interested in jujitsu, that's fine. There's other things you could do. I mean, even just walking to the doors of a CrossFit gym is very uncomfortable and you got to learn to overcome that. But in jujitsu, when you start adding in these additional elements, the presence and the focus you need to have are so undeniable because if you don't, you're going to get choked out, which is probably why I, I enjoy it so much. Yeah. And there's this commonality that people don't think about, which is technique matters more than strength. Yeah. I mean, I think strength conditioning play a vital role, right. but I think technique, if, if, if performed appropriately... Yeah, they could, it's, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, because if you come in there, you're a white belt, you're obviously very strong, but you've never done it before. Yeah. And that somebody who's a blue belt at that time or a purple belt or whatever can yeah. take you down. Okay. For sure. You know, I saw this video of this guy. He's a, he was a police officer, obviously trained in BJJ. You know, not a very big guy, but he was trying to, he was by himself and he was trying to take down like this just monster of a man. 
and he used BJ to, to do it. Yeah. And, and it's just insane to watch. Uh, you mentioned something about being present and about being focused. And, and it, I think this applies to the AMRAP mentality, this question anyway, because Stephen Covey, who you've probably read his book, Seven Habits of Highly, he has this, I think it's habit three, which is um, first things, put first things first. And it's a principle. But I think that today people misunderstand what first things he's talking about. He's not necessarily talking about doing that task you know, first. He's talking about really identifying what is meaningful to you and, and what drives you and gives and feeds your soul and your spirit. Is that your understanding of? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I mean, I've read that, but a lot of those books, they, they lose me. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're too like metaphorical, theoretical, and not enough practical. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like more of the books. Like, for example, I loved reading Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. I thought that was fascinating to me. Some people, you know, it was a little slow. But I thought it was more of like a memoir and like as an autobiography, I thought it was really fascinating because I could pick up on things that he was maybe thinking through and maybe that's just, I don't know. Well, what's one thing that stood out to you from that book? Well, I mean, obviously for anybody that's read that book, I mean, the ending is very, was, is very telling, right? So he basically, the entire story is about how he built up this multi-gazillion dollar business. And then it finishes by saying that his son committed suicide and his regret on that. Hmm. And uh, that was really, um, that, that part in particular was very fascinating to me. Hmm. Not because I, I mean, obviously I don't wish that upon anybody, but because he, he, he touched on something I think is really important, which is as he was building up this multi-billion dollar business, what could he have done differently to maybe have that not occur? Hmm. It, that's the way I read into it, mm-hmm. but maybe that's not the way he meant mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I think that that's true. Like, yeah, you have, the, you have these two things, right? You've got your, your business and that's a baby, but you've got this fragile thing yeah. that's your family. Right. And that's for me, like my relationship with Lisa, my wife and our four kids, like that is so precious. And at the same time, I know what I'm, I'm, I'm on this mission to help people claim their purpose and do I, and to really grab hold of it and listen to it. Yeah. And that requires a certain sacrifice, right? Cause yeah. It's a tough balancing act. Right. And you know, I'd make the argument, like if you spend too much time on the family focus, which again, this is just my perspective, going through what my family's going through over the last couple of years, Mm -hmm. money played a role. Mm -hmm. Like, and I want to be able to, to reach my potential as a business owner as well. I want to reach my potential as a husband, a father, but also as a business owner, what could we do? Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be resentful towards my family because they're not allowing me to be me because mm-hmm. then I'm not going to be as happy of a person. Sure. Right? I'm a better father when I'm also trying to build a business. And not to mention, if you're purely talking money, you know, money, just like fitness, my goal is to, for it to never inhibit the things that I want to do or need to do. Mm-hmm. So when Ava got diagnosed with leukemia, that was one less thing we had to worry about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I saw a lot of families that did have to worry about it. And it, and, it, and it ruined them. Yeah. So it's not everything, but I'd like it to get to a point in my life where it no longer becomes a, 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 a talking point. Right. 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 Yeah, totally. When you, you know, as you embarked on this journey with Ava, 
when she was diagnosed to now she's in remission, right? Yeah. Um, how long has she been in remission? Well, remission is an interesting term. She, she has completed chemotherapy treatment and she's, yeah, she's in remission and she finishes. So she'll be cured in about four years from now. Okay. So it's a two and a half year treatment plan, but you technically go into remission like a month or two after treatment starts oh, technically. Okay. However, if you don't get treated for the next two years, it's basically guaranteed to come back. Hmm. So it's still there. It's still present. They just can't see it under a microscope. Right. And so, but now at this point, after two and a half years, treatment's complete. And then we go in for checkups on a regular basis for the next five years. So you were already a thoughtful human being, an intentional human being, both husband, father, businessman. When you, throughout this journey, has, it, has that journey crystallized anything further for you? Oh yeah. I mean, it's crystallized why we want to work hard, mm -hmm. right? It's crystallized the benefit of kind of building these hedges against, you know, fitness, you know, family business. Like how much of a hedge can I build with a solid relationship so that if something does happen, we're in the best position to handle it, not only financially, but also physically, but also in my relationships. How can I be the best version of myself today when things are good? So that God forbid anything does happen, we're best ready to handle it. Because I'm telling you, I am forever grateful for our family support and all the different things we've gotten because I could only imagine how hard it was for us with everything stacked in our favor, mm -hmm. right? Everything. I can only imagine what it was like for other families. And mm -hmm. so the clarity that I've received has been, has been remarkable. You know, I don't wish it upon anybody, but it has provided my family and myself a lot of really good life lessons that mm -hmm. we'll take with us. You know, we, you know, our daughter got diagnosed. My wife and I were both, you know, 28, 29 years old. And so, or whatever, 30. And so now we have the rest of our lives to utilize this as a pillar of our foundation of who we are. And, mm -hmm. and for that, I'm grateful. Mm -hmm. But again, I don't wish it upon anybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, are, what are some of the, the clarity moments as it relates to some of your personal family goals? Like things that you, maybe milestones that you had thought about that were out there, but now they are have been brought much closer? I think it just, it furthered my relationship with my extended family, like my in-laws, my parents, whatever. It made us a really tight unit. Mm -hmm. And we learned to celebrate a lot, you know, mm -hmm. enjoy things more. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when Ava finished treatment, we went to Europe for five weeks. Mm. And I just said to myself, you know, when are we ever going to be in a position in our lives where we're going to want to celebrate something more than this? Mm. Let's go out there and let's do it big. You know, yes. let's celebrate. Let's enjoy Yes. I think people always, and myself included in business in particular, you always set these pylons like, hey, when we get here, we're going to do whatever. We're going to celebrate. And then you get there and it's like, eh, yeah. you know, it's falls flat, right? right? And I think it's important to set these goals, set these milestones and go out there and enjoy because mm -hmm. those are the kind of memories I want Ava to remember. Mm -hmm. I don't want her to think about getting poked and pricked. I want to think about the times that we had celebrating. Yeah. I think that's really, really powerful advice. And I've, I've heard it said so many different ways. We have this desired outcome, right? And so many of us get so focused on that outcome that we lose sight of the process. And as a result of losing sight of the process, we don't celebrate the progress, Yeah, right? And I think that's so important to do, whether it's in your family life or in a business or with your team members or, or a gym member, you know, athlete of the month kind of stuff, you know, which I'm, I'm sure you guys do something along those lines. Maybe there's someone listening to this show right now that, that thinks it's too late for them. You know, they are, 
you know, in their forties, they, they, they work someplace and they make a decent living, but they haven't really, they feel stuck. They haven't really fulfilled their potential. They've allowed other people's stories to drive their life. What would you say to encourage them? Well, I mean, talking about Juliet Stretch, she's a great example of this. So she was a lawyer and then she wanted to pursue opening up a gym. And I want to, you know, I think before you pursue something, make sure you have the earned confidence from a lot of background and whatever you're doing. I don't think you should just go do it just to go do it. And it depends on your responsibilities. If you have four kids, you're probably being irresponsible just one day deciding you want to open up a coffee shop, right? Unless you have that background. And I think what's important to recognize is that let's just say you are 40 and you want to pivot. Well, I mean, if you, if you're, if most people work until they're 65, right? Even if you pivoted for a year and you recognize it didn't work and you went back to your current career, you still are going to work in there for 24 more years, you know? And I think that's really important for someone to think about. I mean, uh, that's a long ass time, you know, <laughs> yeah. and you could always pivot out and pivot back. Assuming you're really good at your job, there should be no reason why you couldn't do that. I, I think that's important. Yeah, I think that is, that, that's a really great lesson. I think that it's really important to identify what's, what's at stake, why it matters and when it becomes real. Yeah. You know, those are three, three questions I often think about. Well, man, this has been a, a blast to, to have you on the show and to connect with you and learn a little bit more about your story. Before we wrap up, I want to make sure where people can connect with you online and, and go to buy the book AMRAP Mentality. Yeah. So the book As Me Reps is Possible is available on Amazon. Portion of all proceeds obviously benefit um, kids fighting cancer, which we're really advocates for for a number of reasons. You can find me on Instagram, Jason Klepa, Twitter, Jason Klepa, podcast, AMRAP Mentality, podcast, Business of Fitness, YouTube. Yeah, just quite a few. All, all the, just Google Jason. Yeah, you can just go to jasoncleaver.com. <laughs> yeah. I always conclude with, this, with the same three questions for every guest. Okay. So the first is if you could pick a skill set that you currently possess and turn it into a superpower, what would it be? That I currently possess? Yeah. So a skill that you currently possess and turn it into an 11, what would it be? <sighs> By public speaking. Okay. What, what, and what intimidates you about public speaking or, or what is your greatest area of opportunity in, in public speaking? Uh, just more reps, more mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. more exposure mm-hmm. and trying to make a bigger impact through the way that I describe things. Uh, I think it's just taking it from where it's at today and just elevating. I think, I think I'm doing what I need to be doing to get it there. It just takes time. Do you have a dream stage that you want to speak from? I mean, I'd like to do a Ted talk soon. Um, that'd be cool. No, nothing. No, like, no, like I don't have any vision in my head of something, but I'd yeah. like to be able to share perspective with a larger audience. Have you heard of a guy named Pete Vargas? No. He has a, a speaking business. It's called Advance Your Reach. I can connect you if, if you guys are interested. If he's got a whole, whole thing around uh, speaking and he, you know, he, know, he knows all the people that, that you know. I mean, you've heard of John Rulin. He wrote a book called Giftology. All, yeah. So he actually, Pete just spoke at Grant Cardone's 10X conference. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so I, I, can, I can connect you guys if, you, if you'd like. Uh, the, the next question is, what are three lies that we tell ourselves that prevent us from living the AMRAP lifestyle? We don't have enough time for something. I mean, we don't sense of urgency, right? Like that there is no urgency there. There's, there is urgency. You got to get started. Got to do something. And um, I, I think really the lies are that there's not enough time in the day. There is enough time. It's just how you 
centralize your focus and prioritize things. Mm-hmm. That's the mm-hmm. biggest lie. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the one that stops most people. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I don't have time to work out. It's like, well, I think you do. It's just, how do we compartmentalize your day? Because I know a lot of very, very successful people who probably have busier quote schedules than most people, and they can get in 30 minutes to an hour a day of exercise. Right. So if that means you wake up, you know, a little earlier, if that means this, that's probably what the sacrifice can be. Yeah. Well, in fact, I know that, uh, you know, you do a lot of traveling. You don't always have access to a gym, but you have your body, right? What's your favorite at home, no gym, bodyweight workout? Yeah. I mean, my go-to right now. So I traveled 130 days last year on the road. Um, I've, I've done as much as 200 before, I think. Uh, my current go-to is like a 50 squats, uh, 40 sit-ups, 30 push-ups, 20 lunges, and 10 burpees. And I normally do that for anywhere from three to five rounds. Yeah. And and that's a freaking good workout. Yep. I mean, you're breaking a sweat on that for sure. For sure. Uh, the last question is, well, this leads to the last question. What's your favorite art form? Music, dance, sculpture, painting. Do you have one? I'm not very artistic. Maybe maybe art. Like I I, I enjoy looking at art. Oh, like a painting, like a painting. Yeah. Okay. So so this this will lead to the question. Okay. So it's a hundred years from now, and you've left a set of instructions for an artist, a painter, to depict the most meaningful moment in your life. What would that? What what those instructions? sound like um i would just say hey you're in a you're in a you're in a hospital and your um your daughter's having her port removed Mm. like a port is this thing that goes underneath your skin and that's Mm. where they input chemotherapy and other kinds of drugs you're getting it out because she's healed that's it powerful (laughs) i I love it dude i mean that's that's a big one that's the moment i love that dude i could i could see that yeah just the victory and everybody's smiling yeah yeah, you're yeah. winning. Yeah, you're winning. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Dude, Jason, thank you so much for being on the Impact yeah, Entrepreneur no problem. Show. Have a good, great day, everybody. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact.